We want to thank our sponsors of RainyTea.com. Get some from Amalia's Food Markets or enjoy with your meal at MCL Restaurant and Bakeries, Jonathan Bird's Cafeteria, and Jim Dandy's Restaurants. Good, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Live Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today with me is Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame member, Gary Long. Gary, how are you today? Uh, doing great. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Um, tell us, Gary, a little bit about uh, growing up in Shelbyville and your first introduction to the game of basketball and and uh, and and how you picked up the game. Okay, well, I was raised on a small farm, and uh, gosh, everybody in Shelbyville and everywhere in Indiana, that's all they ever talked about was their basketball team. And I remember my first... <laughs> first introduction to it was shooting a basketball to wastebasket in our house. I was probably four or five years old. We got up a little game with my dad, all of us shooting at that wastebasket. Didn't have a goal at that point, but later on had two or three goals around the farm, and that's where I grew up and played, played in a real small school called Shelby Township up through eighth grade. We didn't even have a gym. We played on the outside, and... uh I think that's what actually led to a pretty good shooting form. I couldn't start winging it up there from way outside, and you always had to, had to drive in because of the wind, so didn't didn't try to shoot from way out until I got older. So was was your dad responsible for you playing basketball? Was there anybody that you looked up to, or what? Was there you know anybody that you emulated or fashioned your game after as a as a child? Well, of course, at that point, um, four years old, it was my dad, and he had played. He was like sixth man on Shelbyville's team, and and that was a big deal back in those days because that's all anybody thought and talked about was (laughs) the high school basketball team. Um, Of course, later on, I had had good coaches all the way through. Uh, Gene Sexton, uh, in fact, my dad was a trustee of that small school, I had two boys in my class. There were ten girls and two boys up through the eighth grade. That's how small it was. Oh wow! And my dad was a trustee of that school, and uh, I just later found out not too long ago because my coach at that time went in the Shelbyville uh, uh, Hall of Fame because of his service around Shelbyville, and um, my dad had gone to him because he knew he had played basketball and asked him to come be the principal that small school and then he was my coach and of course at that time you're lucky to get someone who knew anything about basketball in grade school so i was fortunate to have him um in grade school and then went on to high school and lauren joseph was my coach through my junior year and then d compton who's a member of the indiana basketball hall of fame in fact we went in the same year that was i said it's the first time a coach and a player went in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame at the same time. That was D. Compton. He was a great guy and had played at Butler and became uh, the AD over all the Chicago schools. So that was that was growing up in high school. Uh, so so take us into that high school since you were in such a small you know uh, uh, grade school. What was what was uh, going to Shelbyville like and. And uh, what was it like getting into the basketball program there at Shelbyville? Yeah, well, of course, that had always been my dream, to be a Shelbyville high school basketball player. 
And I had a, uh, I was my grade school was located between Shelbyville and Waldron, and uh, we had our choice of going to Shelbyville and Waldron. I actually kind of wanted to go to Waldron because that's where most of the other kids had gone. Uh, but my dad going to Shelbyville and and Gene Saxon, boy, I wish I had to do over again because he wanted me to stay back a year. To, you know, I was young for my age. And supposedly I missed the Indiana All-Star team by one. And if I had just stayed back one more year, I would have had it pretty much made. turned out okay because I went on and had a good college career. But, um, well, if I had to do over, I wish I had done that. But I went to Shelbyville mainly because my parents insisted. And then, boy, it was such a dramatic change. I I did have an adjustment period (laughs) the first year, but it turned out fine. Now, 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 at that point in time, could you could you play varsity as a freshman? Uh, you could, but I was a shrimp, and um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't start growing until the, between my sophomore and junior year, and that was a blessing in disguise too because I was able to play guard. You know, usually a six foot guy who had to play forward in high school in those days because we're we're all smaller. Tallest guy Shelville had ever had was six three. That was Bill Garrett, who you know went on to be an All-American at IU. He was my hero. But uh, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I learned to play from you know play guard, um, shoot from outside, and all of that, and then started to grow between my sophomore and junior year. I did get to start uh, uh, six with th- let's see three games to go my sophomore year. Ended up making the all-sectional team when I was still a little squirt. At, Columbus, but it was it was that summer that I grew about six inches, and so from my junior and senior years, I was about six feet, but I was still getting to play guard, so that was a good thing. What kind of impact did Bill Garrett have on the Shelbyville community? Well, a great impact. The gym is named after him, and of course, when that's all in those days anybody ever talked about was their basketball team, and Shelbyville won the state. And I'm <laughs> the funny thing. Don Chambers uh, was always came in for him in the ball game. I saw him later. He used to he works at the Hall of Fame golf outing, and um, he would stand up to go in the game. And I'm, I was seven years old, and the crowd was doing a standing ovation because of Bill Garrett coming out. And I thought they were cheering for Kane, Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that recently. But I always thought when I was a kid that everybody was cheering for him when he came in the game. So, But, you know, it made such an impression uh, all through uh, grade school and high school. Just, it's like... And I know you know about my son being in the movie Hoosiers, and he always says that he gets to see how it was in those days, like I was always telling him, because they kind of recreated that in the movie. So I was glad he got to see that. It He had a good career here, too, in uh, Center Grove. All three of our boys did. Uh, but the atmosphere just gradually has deteriorated. I've um, I've made the statement, I think, Football's the new basketball now in the state because there uh, seems to be more student participation in football now than there is in basketball. You know, you know, I was going to bring that later up in the conversation, but uh, I might, we might as well talk about it now. I mean, you, you think Indiana can ever fix this? You think it can ever go back to, uh, you know, the way it was when, when you were growing up in Shelbyville or that one-class system? You think it can ever be fixed? 
No, I, I don't really think so, but just because the society has changed so much, the kids had so many other things to do, and there's a lot more sports than there were in those days. Everybody's kind of got their own interest, and um, it seems to pick up at tournament time. I'm, I'm glad to see that, but uh, I just don't think there's any way it can ever go back to that. You know, there were only three TV stations, and Heck, even I remember seeing the snow on a screen at Shelby Township, and they were saying someday you'll be able to see this on a screen from somewhere else in the country. Before, so I was still in grade school when uh, 4TV ever really got started, and so the big emphasis was the basketball team. That, that's just the way it was in those days. That's all I ever heard when I'd go anywhere with my parents. They'd all start talking about the basketball team. So that became your dream to be the wherever you went to high school to to make the team, and almost every boy tried out. It wasn't like like it is now, where you kind of know ahead of time the ones that really work at it in the summer and they coach year round. Every kid tried to make the team. It was just a matter of which ones could and which ones couldn't. The other was the other ones then were in the crowd cheering. They came to the games, so it was wonderful in those days from that standpoint. So, so your game kind of evolved, and you, you, you your game matured. You, you'd say your late uh, sophomore year, and then take us into your junior. Is that when you uh, really, really uh, excelled? Yeah, that's when I I had gotten to start as a sophomore before I grew, and then we had a a really good team. I, uh, the Tyndall twins uh, ended up playing at Indiana Central, both of them. Jack Krebs was a junior and uh, played at Butler. He's on Butler's Hall of Fame because he was an all-around athlete. Our center was a guy named Chuck Thompson my senior year. Now, Bill Coward was my junior year, and uh, uh, and um, not Bill Coward. Gosh, <laughs> boy, that's where old age is coming in. <laughs> Bill, I'm thinking of your name instead of his. <laughs> Bob, hey Bob, Bob Coward. Well, I guess I was close. But anyway, he was a great player my junior year. So both those years we had good teams, but it uh, shows how what a great life I've had. The, the worst feeling I ever get is when I think about the losses in the sectional. We, we both lost to Columbus both years. And, uh, guys, my senior year, some people picked us to win the state. We had, actually had a better record my senior year than the team that won the, the state tournament in 47. They had lost five games, and uh, we had only lost four. And uh, somebody had rated all the um, schedules in the state by who you played, and they had ours and Christmas Addicts rated the two top schedules in the state of who you played. We always played Muncie Central, South Bend Central, you know, in the preseason. Then we were in the South Central Conference. So that was so disappointing, especially – now, Columbus had a great team my junior year, and it could have gone either way. But uh, the senior year, we really – we'd beaten them pretty badly at Columbus during the season and then ended up losing the sectional. I had two fouls on me in the first minute. Had to go sit down, and we just all kind of – froze up or something we lost by two points so you can tell I'm, <laughs> I'm talking so much about it still it really gets to me um what did you guys play um of course uh you had all your teams that were around in the area but <clears throat> you guys you guys traveled to south bend did you guys travel and, and play any teams in indianapolis what who were some of your toughest competition or some of the good players that 
you played against and enjoyed playing against? Yeah, well, um, first one that comes to mind in Indianapolis was um, Southport, and that's when they had um, Jesse Blackwell. Now, uh, the year before that, we beat them at home when they had Joe Simpson, who was a great player. Oscar Robertson always said that was the toughest guy he ever played against in high school. He played for Southport, and um, we were in the South Central Conference, and um, it was all different than it is now, but um, there were some of the top teams. I remember one year, not long after that, two South Central Conference teams played for the state. So um, Martinsville, uh, Columbus, uh, Jeffersonville was in that conference. Um, let's see. <laughs> I didn't expect this question. I should have had it all in front of me. I should remember, but uh, it, it was just a great, great conference. And then uh, the reason we got rated so high with that schedule is because of the non-conference, like Muncie Central and South Bend Central were two of them. I, I have to go back and get the schedule to see who the others were. But somebody went through all those schedules in the state and went to the trouble and said ours and Chris. The funny thing is we didn't play Christmas Addicts. Um, we each had – they rated the two type of schedules, but neither one didn't play each other. And that year we had lost four games going into the tournament, and the team that won the state had lost five. And a couple of people picked us to win the state, and then we we lost in the sectional. So that's why I can't get over it. What was your gymnasium like or uh, the atmosphere during a game back then? Well, it was wild. And, and we uh, – so much different now. We had – Every Friday before the game, and we had one of the bigger ones before Columbus built their gym. They they built a bigger one. Everybody said it was to get the sectional away from Shelbyville. But it was called the Paul Cross Gymnasium. And then every year, um, Paul Cross was the son of a, a preacher there had been killed in action. And there was a, a Paul Cross award goes to one player every year. And uh, I was lucky enough to get it both my junior and senior years. That's one of the biggest honors you could do in Shelbyville, and still is. And um, we would I started to say we'd have a pep session every Friday before the game, and a whole student body would come in and learn the new cheer. And then everyone would cheer to those cheers. They're, they were nothing like the cheers today where you can't really cheer to them they're more you know the cheerleaders doing an athletic moves and something you can't really cheer to but these were something we practiced or the you know the student body did the team would always sit down on one end with their <laughs> our special clothes that's the other thing we had special hats and dress alike and all that so it was just totally different and i think that's what added to the atmosphere in those days uh, pretty packed every game. Oh yeah, it was. In fact, there was always a ticket fight on who could who could get in. That's why um, Columbus built their bigger gym, and everybody was the same way. It's just now. Then it got to the point where people started building their gyms too big, and they couldn't fill them up. But in those days, they they weren't big enough. Ours held, I think, fifty five hundred, and that was big in those days. And then not everybody could get in. Yeah, they had the drawing and. You know, certain ones, I don't know if it's part of the year or then others, other part of the year, but they were always sold out. Uh, who were some of the uh, first, I mean, when when you started to get really good, who were some of your first people, scouts, that uh, colleges that came to see you or, 
or showed interest in uh, you uh, for you coming to play ball for them in college. Hey, yeah, that's I just now thought of that since you asked that question. The very first letter I got was my junior year, and it was from Duke. And at that time, um, Duke wasn't known as a great basketball power or anything. I, I thought, well, you know, that's nice getting a letter from him. And <laughs> but <laughs> but then. Um, well, I made the all-conference my junior year, and I was a big guard. In those days, six foot was considered big. I'd be a shrimp now, but um, I was highly recruited because I was a big guard. Most guys, you know, I could handle ball and shoot from out and all that. And uh, then I got rated, even though I didn't make the high school all-star team, it was mostly done by sports writers, and you had to had to get somewhere in the tournament which we didn't, but I, I got on the first five of the coaches who rated players from all over the state. So I think the college guys, instead of going like they do now to these AAU camps and are actually able to scout who's really good against who else, it was hard to tell in those days because sometimes you get in a, a shooting position, score a lot of points, but couldn't really play defense or do the other thing. So uh, they got fooled sometimes by who they recruited, but – they, I, I think they went by this, and the other guys I would have thought of, there were names I'd heard of, like Leroy Johnson and Herbie Lee and Ronnie Horn. In fact, the reason I'm remembering them, they all went to IU with me. But um, they were the ones that I would have expected. And Bob Orrell, who ended up going to uh, Purdue, but I, I thought I was going to Purdue because I was being recruited by them too. I told Ray Eddie, I'm 99% sure because I, because Shelbyville was gold and black and so was Purdue. And all through high school, I had been more of a Purdue guy. Of course, I rooted for our Indiana teams when they played, but, um, I had taken an interest test at IU to see what I should major in. And um, <laughs> way out in front of everything, said I should be a mortician. <laughs> <laughs> and then next was business. But the reason I, I'm sure that came out that way is because um, I was raised on a farm. Heck, I delivered calves and things like that. It wasn't squeamish. And I think that the combination of that and the business put that way out in front. So, But business being second, and I, uh, I work for a – adamant IU guy in the summer, Dr. Dalton. And, of course, he started working on me to put my education in front of my basketball. Heck, Purdue uh, needed guards, and IU was loaded with them. But, uh, of course, uh, that, that did make a lot of sense. And uh, other alums, too, said, put your bas your education ahead of your basketball. I was offered a full ride at both of them. And then McCracken spent a full day with me, he and his wife, when I knew someone else had told me he was really was supposed to go to the Indiana High School track meet, but instead of that, he spent the day with me. And those two things just kind of put it over the edge. I said, "Well, I probably should major in business, which is what I did. I ended up getting an MBA." And uh, I don't know, you may be interested in this too: the Van Arsdale twins and McLaughlin and that really good team, Steve Redenbaugh, were all freshmen. The year I was getting my MBA, I was assistant freshman coach. So even though freshmen couldn't play, that team couldn't play as freshmen either, but um, they still call me coach <laughs> because I was assistant freshman coach when they were all freshmen. So so what was that day like? Were you nervous when uh, uh, Coach McCracken and his wife came and spent the day with you and 
and what 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 happened or what what made you say you know what i, I am going to go to indiana well it was just a combination of that i mean i uh, of course was in awe of of mccracken everybody knew about him and his wife was so nice boy she took care of the players and um you just felt like you would be taken care of if you got down there and you know you could trust them to keep your scholarship not that it wouldn't have been that way at purdue either i think both schools were good about that but uh probably the main reason was uh the fact that and i didn't know what i wanted to do i knew i'd had enough of farming boy <laughs> it was rough for about 18 years we were on a small farm and i did everything on it which built character. I'm glad I did that on looking back on it. Everything else seemed easy after that. When I worked at Eli Lilly, I couldn't believe I, what I was getting paid for what I was doing <laughs> after the way I'd worked on the farm. But uh, that was the main reason for going to IU because of the business school. They were had the number two ranked business school in the country at the time. They're still highly rated uh, for business. So I've never had any regrets and ended up having, a, I'm sure I would have got more playing time at Purdue, but uh, I, I ended up getting, uh, having a good career at IU. So I've never, never had any second thoughts and we're still very active. We just went the other night to the opening of the season. We go to all the football games and all the basketball games when we're home. I've got a, my youngest son's in Florida with three grandkids. They're all, into sports now, so we do spend uh, quite a bit of the winter down there now at Delray Beach. He'll be going to Boca Raton and playing for Boca Raton this year. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that event. I saw, uh, uh, I, and I actually borrowed it and put it on my, our Facebook page, but uh, I saw you uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Slick Bob Leonard, who was just inducted into the National Basketball Hall of Fame. So what all happened there? Or who was all there? Oh, yeah, it was uh, who's who. And, uh, in fact, my wife um, got together a table uh, where uh, Kitchell's, and Ted Kitchell goes to our church. We're good friends of theirs. And then E.G. White, we all three go to the same church here in Greenwood. So those two went with us, and then some other friends, the uh, Johnsons, who go to away games and everything else, uh, IU, they're neighbors, and I worked with him at Lilly. That's how we first got started there. And on vacations together and everything else and then some friends down the street the Nixes. so we all had a table and uh, that's where the coaches came in and talked about the upcoming season and then the speakers were um, Aladipo, Zeller, um, Crean <laughs> and Bob Leonard and then it was afterwards and I had just seen Bob at the Indiana uh, golf outing because he had spoken there and I'd had him sign his book and everything and kind of got to know him. Uh, I, I tell you where I first met him. I, of course I knew about him, but when we went out to play in the Los Angeles classic and he was playing for Los Angeles, he, he came in and, um, you know, to our team and kind of sat around and talked to us and, that's the first time I'd personally met him. But through the years, we've, got, we've both been IU backers and gone to things together and got to be pretty good friends. So I, I forget what we were talking about right then. We all got to laughing about something when they took our picture. So it did turn out to be a pretty good picture. And then it, it, my wife put it on Facebook, and it got around. I saw I saw where you tagged it. Uh, yeah, I, I swiped it yeah. from you. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, glad you did. <laughs> uh, t t tell us about you know that uh, going from Shelbyville to Indiana University, and I, I take it you played freshman basketball because you couldn't be on the varsity, and 
And what was it like going from Shelbyville to Bloomington and, and such a big school your freshman year? Yeah, well, of course, Shelbyville was considered a big school, so it probably wasn't as much of a transition from that standpoint for me, although it was the first time really I'd been away from home. I got homesick some, but I could get home in an hour and a half. <laughs> but, yeah, the freshman year, uh, and I'm glad they let freshmen play now because it was really kind of a waste. We had um, eight scholarship guys, and then they would fill in with guys just going up and down the floor. Some, of, I'm sure a lot of people got cut from that freshman team that were probably good, pretty good players because you really couldn't tell. It was like two nights of <laughs> running up and down the floor with the scholarship guys, and they just picked a team. And then we would divide up the eight scholarship guys and try to outscore each other. If you, if you didn't have bad habits before you got there from teamwork standpoint, it probably made it worse. So uh, I'm glad they let the freshmen play now. I wish we could have played then. But, but the thing we did that year, we, we had Bellamy at center. Archie Dees was the varsity center. And all of our um, freshman team matched up better than the reserves did. Um, on the varsity that year. So we did scrimmage them just about every day. We, uh, and I'm sure it made them better. They won the Big Ten that year, and I really think our freshman team had something to do with it because we were the ones playing against them every day, making them better. So take us into your sophomore year when you, you, you know, you, you're on the varsity team. And I particularly want to hear a little bit about that, you know, the high, the supposedly the, the highest scoring game ever, that 122 to 93 win over Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, that was almost a dream come true there. I, I had been getting some playing time, but you know, I wasn't um, a starter and hadn't been playing that much. I'd say maybe eight minutes a game at the most. And then uh, one of the starters, Bob Wilkinson, who was a great player. Uh, didn't make his grades that semester. So so they had to uh, pick somebody to take the starting spot, and it was between me and a senior, Al Slagamalik. And we both – I started against DePaul. That was the game before that game. Didn't do very good. Scored two points, I think, the first half. And, and he did about the same. So he started me the second half. And then the second half, I kind of got my legs or, you know, settled down scored 15 points second half. So I ended up 17 points against DePaul and then got to start against Ohio State, which was the next game. And, um, of course, probably wasn't even on the scouting report or anything. And uh, that was a game just everybody was hot. And we, it, was, that was, it was really a second half because the first half, it was 48 to 48. But I'd had a decent first half, so I got started again second half. And uh, that's when we scored 74 points in the second half. Now, some of it was the reserves coming in, keeping it going after game after he started substituting. But that game ended up 122 to 92, and uh, it's still on on the record as the most points ever scored by an IU team. So that's my big trivia question. My wife gets tired of me asking people. <laughs> but it's it's partly because uh, you'd never suspect. You know, you'd give them a vulnerable choice. Uh, in the most, you got to ask the question right, but in the most points ever scored by an IU team, who was the leading scorer? And then you give Calvert Chaney, Steve Alford, Don Schlunt, Gary Long. <laughs> Nobody would ever get it. But, how, many, how many did you score? Well, that? and here's the thing. it was That's why. It was only 29 points, but another guy, Herbie, had 25. Leroy Johnson had 20. 
Uh, Bellamy had gotten in foul trouble, and I think that's why we, you know, we just really made a running game out of it. I'm not sure how we got that many rebounds. We still had Frank Radovich. I know he was a, a heck of a rebounder. And uh, I think Ronnie Horn was still playing at that point. But um, but, and it, but Bellamy still had 16, and then uh, just everybody pitched in. And it ended up 122. Now, I guess it was tied two years later with Jimmy Rayo uh, when he was playing. Of course, he came on the next year, and that year we had so many guards, he didn't really even play any more than the rest of us. But uh, the next year is when he really came into his own. And so I thought, well, two years later, Jimmy probably had 40 points, but it turned out he only had 27. So, <laughs> so I was still the answer to the trivia question. Because against Notre Dame, they had 20, 122 points. But those two games uh, still stand as the most points ever scored by an IU team. Uh, what was Coach McCracken like, and, and what was his coaching style like? And do you have any funny stories about uh, Coach McCracken? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he was he was just a great guy. And I mean, a uh, competitor, man. He was – he hated to lose. One of your main motivation wasn't a little difference between he and Bob Knight. Now, Bob Knight always emphasized not not whether you win or not. It's how you play the game. And you know, he was always a perfectionist. But McCracken would always say, "It's not how you play the game; it's whether you win." <laughs> and uh, but otherwise, they were real similar. I mean, if you lost the game, you didn't want to go through next week's practice. So that was one of your main motivations. And uh, he was just um, a competitor. Um, you know, everybody knew him, and his philosophy was with the players he got, I think it's changed a little bit now because players come from all over the country. They used to come to Indiana. I had people coming after me from everywhere. And um, now they're, you know, it's not like it was in those days. And uh, McCracken felt like he got – the kind of players he got, let him play. I mean, don't tie him down with a bunch of plays. And we had options, but it was pretty much make your own decisions and set set picks and use the different options we used in practice. And your your first option was a fast break. If you didn't have it, then you brought it back and set it up. But um, that's why people sometimes accuse him of not doing a lot of X's and O's, but that was his philosophy. He didn't want to tie you down with a lot of X's and O's. He wanted to use your natural ability. And then a good offense was good. If you outscored the other team, you win. And But on the other hand, he said, now I won't take you out for missing a shot, but I will take you out for a defensive mistake. So he he did he did want you to play defense. He didn't want you to loaf. But the difference, and I, I, I got to looking at that film. I thought, well, and Ohio State had it. Sure enough, they had it. It's black and white and everything. But I got to thinking, how in the world? We didn't have three-pointers. How in the world did we score 122 points? And uh, that was the reason. We didn't take as long to get the shot off. I mean, even if we the, if the fast break wasn't there, there would be a couple passes, a couple picks, and then the shot would go up. The shooting percentages normally weren't quite as good in those days because um, you didn't wait till you got the really good shot. You just you 
got a fairly good shot and put it up. And then if, uh, like the, that game, just most of them went in, and that's how we end up scoring that many points compared to nowadays where I don't think I'll ever be broken just just because the defenses um, have just really gotten a lot tougher. Um, so is that the same Ohio State team that went on and won the national championship? No, well, the the sophomore year. Now, what I'm most remembered for is the next year when um, they were ranked number one. That's when they were all sophomores. No, that year, Larry Siegfried and I were the same class, and I always had to guard him. He was 6'5". You know, I was supposedly a big guard, but he was 6'5". And so he and I played against each other all through. So that, that was um, our sophomore years before Jerry Lucas and Havlicek and – um, Mel Noel, uh all came in as sophomores. So it was the year before. It was a 122-point game. And the only one I really remember uh, the name of is Siegfried. But then, then the next year, Siegfried was a junior, and they were all sophomores. That was the year 1960 that they won everything. But um, three, we had lost to them by one point. Over there, we didn't realize at the time. We'd lost to Purdue at, at home. We let Bellamy go out on the floor, should have kept him underneath, and try to guard uh, <laughs> Terry Dishner. So we ended up losing to Purdue, and then we lost another game. We just had a midseason slump north, to Northwestern, I think it was. We later beat them really bad. But the third game was when we found our own. In fact, that's when I came off the bench again, the, the third game at Ohio State. And um, Siegfried hit a shot. Turned out it was – I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. My son went to – Jerry Lucas does a memory thing all over the country, and my son told him who he was, Brad, the one was in Hoosiers. And, of course, he remembered, and he said, yeah. He said that was the only two points Siegfried got that game. I hadn't realized it, but I was guarding when he cut through a pick off of Lucas and – I had my hand in his face, looked over my shoulder. <laughs> the thing hit the corner of the backboard, the front of the rim, and fell in at the gun. After we had him down four points about th- uh, 30 seconds to go. That's a long story, too, how they got the ball and all that. But anyway, if that shot hadn't gone in, because we went undefeated, and they went undefeated, we beat I scored 19 against, against someone. We beat them 99-83. to 83 just before the tournament started in 1960. And McCracken said, if you beat Michigan State the last game, they'll better have to take two two teams this year. They were ranked number one all the year long. We beat them bad just before the tournament. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, we're second in the Big, Big Ten, and we would have tied for the Big Ten if that shot hadn't gone in. And since it since they did beat us that game, uh, they end up winning the Big Ten and go on. Nobody even touched them in the tournament. Only two teams, uh, only one team from each conference could play, and uh, nobody touched them. And um, I, I'm sure we, I, it would have been a battle if we'd have gotten to play them, but everybody, uh, even Jerry Lucas, made the statement after they won that that the best team's in Bloomington. I mean, you know, he was still stinging from that, that, that loss just before the tournament started. And it's funny, too, that the um, we didn't think too much about it like they do these days. I mean, it's so um, played up and 
hype the, the NCAA tournament. And it, it was some in those days, but it wasn't thought of like it is today. And almost every game was like that. That's why we didn't think as much about it as I do now, looking back on it, that if only we could have played in that tournament, we, would, we may not have won because they, they may have beat us the third time after we woke them up. But uh, that that's always sickening to think about, too, when you see them taking six, seven teams. We've been called the best team to never get to play in the tournament. That's A lot of people have labeled us that way for that 1960. 20, 20 and 4, right? Pardon? You guys were 20 and 4, weren't you? Yeah, we were 20 and 4, and the first three – were those three that midseason slump? We should have never lost those games, and then the third one was when we woke up against Ohio State and had them beat at Ohio State, and end up losing on that one shot. And if that, you know, that's why it comes down to that one shot. If it hadn't gone in, we would have won the game, and then we would have tied for the Big Ten. So that's that's why I'm always looking back on that, and then the losses in the the sectional, and uh, those are the two most negative things I can remember. From everything else has been positive. I mean, all of it's character building, so things work out for the best. But those are the two things I look back on with the most regret. Uh, you know, I know while you were pursuing your MBA, you were the assistant freshman coach. Tell us how you got into that, and and what kind of memories you have from there. Okay, well, yeah, I talked about it a little bit before, but. Um, in those days, too, I kind of wish now I had played pro ball a little bit because um, there were two leagues and some of the other guys played that didn't even start. But um, McCracken said, no, you're too smart for that. He said, uh, why don't you go ahead and we'll get you can be assistant coach. It's like another year scholarship. And then also I had, a, I had won the Big Ten medal for scholarship. And um, so I got a scholarship in the business school, too. And between those two things, it paid for everything for me to get my MBA. I was, it was like another year of a scholarship. And so it was really McCracken's influence there, too. I don't know if I would have gone ahead or I probably would have tried, tried to play pro ball for a while. And he said, and it's true, in those days, a guard would play about 10 years and never really come out with much. The guys that it paid off for were, were the big guys. They, they got some money and it just wasn't like it is today where even, even those guys didn't make a lot of money. So he said, you should go ahead and start your business career. And, um, you know, you can be assistant coach for the freshmen and, uh, and, and just happened that Peter Bramsky, another friend, he was on that team that we always scrimmaged against. I just saw him the other night. He's still active in IE stuff. And um, he had just gotten his law degree. He had done it for three years while he was getting his law degree, but he had gotten it, so they needed somebody to replace him. So that's when McCracken asked me to do it, and um, it, it turned out to be a good thing. It was like another year scholarship. Well, I got, and then in those days, you could get it. In. I started in the summer. I knew they were going to up the requirements to 30 hours, so I took six of them in the summer and then 15 each in the winter, no, it must have been 36. So, so anyway, I got my M MBA uh, by that summer, and then the next year while I was coaching and assistant in the business school. And then I was lucky too that I didn't have to teach. I, all I had to do was do research for a marketing professor. So, I got luck lucky on those things too.
Um, who, what were uh, Tom and Dick Van Arsdale like? Were they pretty good guys, or did you enjoy coaching them? Or are you still? Oh yeah, they're them? they're great guys, and I just saw them recently because, uh, and I was glad Bob Knight took an interest in their mother after they left. Of course, he knew about all them, and he really took good care of her. Hilda, she lived right here in Greenwood, where we live, and we used to go to dinner together and things. And uh, some other friends of ours would always take her to the games. So they they had both Brad and me in on when they dedicated the local library to her. We helped out with that, uh, and then Knight came in and spoke. But they and they came back and talked. And I, I don't know if you knew or not, but Dick had had a pretty serious stroke, and he was always kind of the quiet one. And I, I'm one of the few who can tell them when I see one of them, I know which one it is. That's, same way at the Tyndall twins when we were in high school. After, after you get to know them well enough, nobody else can tell them apart, but. But if you're around him enough, you can. And Dick was always kind of the quiet one, and Tom the happy-go-lucky one. And um, then Dick's the one that had that stroke. So Tom still does all the talking, but Dick uh, is aware of everything and, and can talk. He just uh, talks slower, but that's where they are now. They're just great guys and, um, you know, good characters. They've had really successful careers in real estate out in Phoenix. And then they'd come back every once in a while because their mom was here. I, I saw them at her funeral, and then uh, and not not too long ago, it's been about a year ago, they dedicated that library to her, and they came back, and they had both Brad and me help out with that. Uh, do you have any kind of relationship with Coach Knight? Uh, not really. I mean, we always uh, got along okay. I always went back and helped support when he was raising money for the library. And, um, but I, it's, I wasn't one of his closest buddies. We just, I had, had respect for him, uh, the way he coached and, um, and some of the personal things I didn't totally agree with. So <laughs> we, we were, I, Clarence Donninger was a real good friend of mine and we played independent ball. He was AD at IU for a while. And then he, when he and Knight got into it, that's when it kind of ended for me as being his biggest fan. <laughs> now, we, ch we chatted earlier, and uh, uh, Gene Ring was my athletic director at Broderville, oh, yeah? at Broderville High School. And he never really you, – you never got uh, any personal information out of Coach Ring. What, what kind of guy was he, and were you friends with him? Oh, yeah. I love Gene. He was a really good guy. I uh, never really played for him. He became the freshman the year I moved to the varsity. My sophomore years, sophomore year was when Lou Watson became, he went from freshman, he was my freshman coach, and then he went to assistant coach, and uh, Gene became the freshman coach. So, you know, we were all around there together. And um, so I never, and then, of course, later, I, through, um, uh, I think it was through Amos Hayes. <laughs> Everybody knows him in Bloomington. Um, there was some marriage connection there. But anyway, I kind of knew Gene through the years and uh, just always had respect for him, too. They, they, those all, guys all just were very similar, and they were just intense competitors. And, you know, Lou and Gene and McCracken and – uh, there was just a similarity among all of them, which I think led to the IU success. There, a lot of it is just intensity and a will to win. 
<laughs> and that's what they all had. We, we later became really good friends, spent a lot of time with Lou, and saw, saw a lot of other things, how intense he was about things, in Florida, because they, they went to Jupiter, Florida, and our son is near there, and that's where we went a lot in the winter and did a lot of things with them together. Of course, Lou died about a year ago. In fact, all my coaches are gone now except Gene Sexton, my very first one. He He's still in Shelbyville, but all the others are gone now. What kind of feeling or how did you feel on that day when you were notified and said that you were going to be inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Oh, gosh, it was it was a thrill. I mean, you know, I, it's kind of – it's not like the uh, the national one, but I mean, around here, if uh, if you're nominated and get to go into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, it's that's your goal after you get through with everything else. <laughs> I played until I was 58 with the Masters games. I hated having to give up basketball, but my hip got my first. I had my first hip replacement 17 years ago. That's why I had to give it up. Had another one about three years ago, but I can still swim and bike and play golf and uh, keep exercise that way. But yeah, the Hall of Fame uh, in Indiana is a big deal, and uh, I'm always glad to see when some of my other friends. Seem like every year, down through the years since I played so many years, even the younger guys, I've I've gotten to know a lot of them, and the IU guys, they've kind of. We have things we go back to, and uh, I'm always glad to see, like this year, I think Bill Russell's one of them. I've got to be a pretty good friend of his, but if it weren't for that, I, I wouldn't have known him. And then that great Indiana shootout, I got to get to know a lot of them there uh, when we had that big two-year contest. <laughs> a lot of guys, all the guys came back for that, So, and I had really good luck in that. So uh, I got to know a lot of them that I wouldn't have otherwise, and so – I'm, I'm always glad to see when one of them gets inducted. Um, tell us a little bit about your family and your children. Okay, well, I have three boys who are all good athletes, and then I have eight grandkids, and uh, two of them live close to home. Of course, you know about Brad. Um, that was an interesting thing, too. How I got a bit part in that movie was because Angelo Pizzo was a – was the seventh grader when I was at IU. And I always said, if I ever get to be a player, I'm going to be nice to little kids because I always know how I felt being around, even around Shelbyville, guys that played on the varsity when I was a little kid. And I had been nice to him. I hadn't even rebound for me or something. So when my son got the part, he said, get your dad to let him be a coach. <laughs> so then I got off the subject there, but uh, that's how that came about. And then my middle boy, Mike, lives in Bloomington. He and Brad took over, I mean, in Franklin, which is nearby here. And all his kids were in sports and things. And so we've kept busy with that up here. And then my youngest son ended up in Florida. And he's got the youngest kids, and now they're the ones who are all involved. So we've really kept busy with grandkids and, and all their sports because there's eight of them. There's uh, five boys and three girls, and uh, all of them are involved in about everything you can get involved in. The boys coach their kids, and it's been fun. So, Gary, do you just whack the golf ball nowadays, or is there uh, are, are you are you totally retired, or is there anything that you do right now? No, I yeah I I retired from Johnson's uh, after Lily. As a long story too, I took a job with Johnson's thing. I'd be back with Lily, but they knew who I was. So it's class rings and graduation announcements. The biggest company done most of the Super Bowl. So I did that for forty some years, and then 
gradually retired when my two older boys took over. And then in retirement, I've got a good business going now with Vima. stands for vitamins, central minerals, mangosteen, aloe. And I was just looking for something to do. I was already taking their minerals. And and now I've got a pretty good business going with that. If you ever want to look it up sometime, it's Gary Long 15. That was my college number. Dot Vima dot com. That's that's what I've been doing lately, and I, I figure I need something to do because I think I'm going to live longer because of that product. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I do still keep. I can't play basketball because you can't not or jog. You're not supposed to do anything jarring with these these replaced hips. But I can still ride a bike and still swim. That's what I'll do when I'm finished talking to you. Every third day, I make myself do this half-hour swim. I hate it. I look forward to the two bike rides, but I drink this drink before I do it. burns off fat and keeps you healthy. So that's my routine nowadays. I play golf just about every day. It's not raining. So it's a great time of life. I'm 75 now. I just turned 75. And, um, boy, if you can, it's a good time of life if you can just stay healthy. So that's what I'm trying to do. Well, I thank you so much for, you know, spending the last hour with us. The, uh, you know, I, I just think this is something that, you know, uh, it, it, the stuff from the past needs to be documented so the future can remember. So I really appreciate uh, uh, you spending the hour with us. It was, it was very kind uh, of you. Yeah, well, I sure appreciate what you're doing because, boy, there's no one more interested in keeping it alive than I am because those were great times. Uh, yes, they are. So I, I appreciate it, and thank you so much. And uh, uh, look, I, I, I look forward to posting the podcast and letting everybody hear uh, what we chat about today. Well, I appreciate it, Billy, and um, uh, you keep up the good work yourself. Uh, thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, have a good one. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye.